what we're going to hear are testimonies to the reality of God in the life of those who are his. That's going to be brilliant. And we all need to hear that about the reality of God. Now, we're going to hear about big life decisions with Ben. We're going to hear about unemployment with Lenny and Sharon. We're going to hear about serious illness with Beth. And finally, we'll hear about bereavement and grief with Rose and Giles. Real perspectives on the reality of God's peace in trouble. We're looking forward to this. and Let's just ask for some help, shall we? Our Father, we pray for your strength and your peace just now as Ben and Lenny and Sharon and Beth and Rose and Giles come and speak to us about their lives. We pray that your hand would be on us and that we would be able to speak in an open and relaxed way and we pray that we might learn and that we might be encouraged that you are not a God who is distant, but you are a God of peace who reaches into our lives every day. And we thank you that there are those who have been through things and they can comfort us by their experiences. We thank you that they've leaned the weight of their confidence on you and you have shown yourself to be true. Help us just now. We ask it please in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Benjamin, you're up. Um, so, when I agreed to this, I thought it was going to be a sofa. It's a bit weird. Boy band style. Oh, yeah. We'll take it. Um, okay. So, the reason that you're talking to us, Ben, is you've had a, a number of experiences that speak to this issue of big life choices from uh, where you've lived to what you've studied, to jobs, to going to small churches of God in different places. And there are people in this room, I don't know, 15 years behind you on that journey, as it were. You know, a lot of you guys are coming to the end of school uh, at the back and big life choices are looming. Um, so I guess there are lots of people here gonna be able to identify with, with some of what you're saying. Um, but do you want to take us back, uh, rewind the clock, as it were, to, to, to when these sort of life choices kicked in, maybe when you were leaving school and, and, and moving away from home for the first time? Uh, yeah. Um, I didn't even realise um, university existed. And I don't know how, because um, my cousins had gone there. And it came to the... Uh, this point in A levels, and uh, people were asking what I was going to do. Uh, what were you going 
and I had no idea. <laughs> and uh, so I applied for um, a couple of different courses in geography and marine biology. And I thought I would go to Newcastle. Um, I picked Newcastle because um, it was a city a bit like London where I grew up. And it, I wasn't in the Churches of God at the time, but it had a Church of God. And I thought, that's handy and close. And uh, I didn't get the grades. So I ended up in Bangor. <laughs> and uh, after a lot of prayer about it. Not it Bangor, Northern Ireland. Yeah. No, Bangor, um, Wales. So I had prayed about it. I had hoped to be in Newcastle, and it didn't work out. So I found myself with the only choice being Bangor, uh, Northern uh, Wales. And uh, so I ended up heading that way. And uh, the nearest church at that time, and still is, is uh, Tawin. So that was the, well, school ending uh, point. But I committed it to the Lord, and I applied and put myself forward, and uh, God's hand turned the outcome at that stage. Good. Okay. And were you baptized at that point? Mm -mm. No. I um, went off to uni and uh, did a, a marine biology course. I had a lot of questions about creation, uh, the existence of God. Um, I'd gone to a Church of England high school, and so I had questions about what was different across all the denominations, uh, why be in a church of God uh, or not. And uh, uh, at the time, I had felt that baptism was other people's choice and, and not my own. And during the course of the first year of university, um, I realized it was a command from the Lord Jesus, baptism. Um, I realized that the questions I had about creation and um, the existence of God once I'd solved them, there would be another one and another one and another one. And there came a point where you either commit to the Lord's things or you don't. And so in the summer of the, after the first year of uni, um, I decided to, to go forward with baptism. And so I was baptized and added into Wembley back home in London. Okay. And what was it like to... To go, what sort of size was town when you went there and what was that experience like? Maybe some who are in and around town can help me with the numbers, but 10 to 15 of us, I would say, yeah, supported by visitors as well, yeah. Okay. And, and how was that as, a, as a, a, a student being in that environment? What, what did you experience in a small church? Um, as with every church of God that I've been to, um, they were caring and loving. I definitely lowered the average age of town considerably. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, Nigel and I considerably lowered the. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, um, I, I at first I, I was quite independent, and I wanted to get the train there myself. I wanted to walk from the station to the hall. I didn't really take offers for lunch. I just was doing it my own way. And it took a couple of years, I think, for them to win me around. But I wish I hadn't been so independent from the beginning um, because uh, fellowship with, with them, regardless of age, was a good thing. Yeah. So, so after your undergraduate time in, in Bangor, mm -hmm. what was the next big choice? Um, 
again, I didn't know what I was going to do with life. Um, I wanted a job and it proved really hard to get one in the field of marine biology. Um, so I was a bit lost for a year looking for work. Um, and then some options came up for PhD, so I applied. And I didn't know if I would get them. I've been turned down from quite a few uh, job applications over that year, doing random, random jobs. I was living back in London. And um, an opportunity came up actually to go to the Philippines with Brian. Um, and I didn't know what would be after that, so I committed to that. And almost at the same time, uh, we had this offer for Northern Ireland um, for a PhD. And it wasn't the one I applied for either. That got taken, but they just happened to have some other options, and uh, it was of much greater interest. Um, so again, after giving it over to the Lord in prayer and waiting and applying, then an option came up. Okay. Is there a sense that the Lord's making the choices for you? Definitely, yeah. yeah. And so I remember being in the district to which you were moving, I remember the excitement. Um, <laughs> That, uh, that a young person was going to be with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm young. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, what, uh, so, what was that move like coming to, to Northern Ireland? And, and uh, people here mightn't be familiar with the metropolis of Kalibaki. <laughs> you might want to give a, a backdrop on that assembly and the setting. My mum said, You're going where? For how long? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, the the interview for the PhD, I came over for the weekend, and um, Lorraine McElroy uh, kindly looked, hosted me, and it meant that I ended up at Kalabaki Conference. Um, so, wow. when the first time I was in Kalabaki, there was loads of people, and we weren't in the actual hall, um, <laughs> and it was really good. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, so, yeah, I was in Coleraine, which is a 30-minute drive north of the Kalabaki Hall. And um, it, was a, it was a move. I'd moved to Wales, been there for four years, so this was another move. It wasn't unusual or, or strange. Um, but again, you know, if you, if you don't know anybody in a new place, it can be difficult. And Dan Grierson was, was really good to me when I moved. He um, introduced me to surfing, but also looked in on me and uh, first few weeks particularly, um, checked in on me and took me out and showed me the hall and things like that. So it was, um, yeah, if someone's making a life choice and, and coming to a place, it's always good. You know, maybe you're not moving and, and making a choice yourself, but you can always um, help somebody and um, help them settle in and sort out their feet and, and, and get going forward. Yeah. And again, how did you feel about the small church environment? It, it, was that something that concerned you or is it something that you know, drove you in a way to, to become more involved in, in the church? Um, size has never bothered me in, in this matter because um, when I made that commitment to baptism at 19, um, it, it was a, it's a command from the Lord. And having grown up around the churches of God 
and seeing how people handle scripture and look at its original context and try and go back to um, how the apostles taught, for me that was convincing as a, an acceptable way to approach it. So for those involved, um, doesn't matter how many, let's get going and, and do it together and, and, and be one in that. So I, I remember turning up, I remember the first day going to the hall in Kalabaki and Lindsay and John were at the door and it was the beginning of a good, good friendship. And I remember them, I think they were really nervous um, because really <laughs> they, um, they did say, look, we're, we're small here, but we've been praying that someone will come and you're here and um, welcome. And, and that was the beginning of it. And uh, yeah, it, it, was, it was good. It was a, a normal remembrance. And uh, consistently after that, we, we got on like a big family. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, and you've come a long way because you used to pronounce uh, Gold Rain, Collar Rain. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Balamoni, Balimoni. Um, you've done well. Yeah. Um, Okay, we're probably coming to, to, to a close. Do you want to talk about your last move then to, to, to Newcastle and, and what was driving that and the whole job environment? Yeah, I, again, I wasn't sure it would happen at the end of my studies. Um, it was a difficult time because uh, PhD is supposed to take three, three to three and a half years and it was five years. And, uh, you know, things were tight. Um, uh, Stephen will understand, but it's very hard to finish one of these things because there's too many people with too many views. Um, and I'd gone to quite a few job interviews and I didn't know what was next or, or where what would happen. And uh, I think everyone else was concerned as well based on the topic of my study that I would have a future in anything. And uh, uh, yeah, again, we're, we're praying about it. And, and the church was supporting in that. We were praying about it together because... Um, well, we'd lost two, so in Kalabaki we were six people at that stage, and um, so the future was in question for everybody in a big way. And uh, again, this this job came up at exactly the I think the day I submitted my thesis, the examiner um, in my viva said, uh, "Have you applied for this job?" And it, it's the one I do now. And uh, so again, uh, praying, committing over to the Lord, and then. It just sort of arrived at the, at the right time. And again, when I arrived in Newcastle, in the same way that I had been welcomed in each other assembly, I was welcomed there. Um, they helped me until I found a place to live and, again, fitting into the assembly. So there's a consistent pattern as well of uh, the individual having to make the choices and commit to the Lord, but also a church of God being open and supportive and, and welcoming someone who's making those choices along the way and praying for them. That's great. Um, okay, let's bring things to a close. I, I guess, again, there's, there's a lot of you who are approaching the end of school in the next few years and life decisions are going to come at you. But then is there a, a kind of parting message that you want to leave people with? About experiencing God's peace and all of that? I, I think at times you will, there will be not peace. Um, that's a process, you know, you will be anxious about things. It's going to be impossible never to be anxious. Um, one um, passage of scripture that's helped me, um, Proverbs 3, um, trust in the Lord uh, with all your heart. 
um, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. And I think at each stage, when I've not understood something, or you know, someone has passed away, or I've not known what the next step is, then I can come back to that verse, and I can not understand, but I can say, well, I leave it to you, Lord, to direct, to see what's next. Thank you, brother. All right. I'm going to ask Lenny and Chang to come up and join me now. Um, and that's the, the matter of unemployment, um, which is a you know a weighty matter. Uh, Lenny, you've agreed to to sort of unpack your experience in in unemployment. In when was it? How many years ago? Uh, it was back in 2014, sort of August September 2014. So to kick off, then, can you tell us a bit about your work and? What led up to being told you were going to be made redundant? This is great because Sharon still doesn't know what I do for a living. So, so I was working for an investment management company in Glasgow. Um, which, to cut a long story short, basically we took um, people's pension money, investment money, all that sort of thing. Um, and invested it in markets across across the world. So my job, um, along with six others, we worked on the trading desk and we did all the buying and selling of the investments that the company um, invested in. Um, and around about that time, uh, the company that I worked for was bought over by Standard Life, um, big insurance company in Edinburgh that I'm sure a lot of people have, have heard of. Um, and Standard Life decided that really they had a team of dealers themselves, so they didn't really need us. Um, and that was the case kind of across the, the company, really. So probably about 75, 80% of the people that worked in the business, of which there were maybe four or 500, were let go, um, including me. So, so yeah, after you know, 15, 16 years of working for that company, um, in what was quite a small, tight industry up there, there was only probably eight or nine investment houses across Edinburgh and Glasgow, and we all knew each other very well. Um, and it was becoming an ever-decreasing circle to some extent that um, when they'd let so many people go, there wasn't really, you know, when the music stops, all the chairs were taken, you know. <laughs> so how did that, how did you react to that news? Um, yeah, well, it was a bit of a shock. Because, well, we, when we heard that the takeover was happening, we obviously knew that there'd be a lot of casualties. Um, but rightly or wrongly, and wrongly as it turned out, a lot of the 
the the broker contacts that we had uh, stockbrokers that we used who spoke to standard life a lot and we knew the guys at standard life as well we knew them quite well and and had a few calls from guys saying look you'll be okay <laughs> don't worry you'll be okay and then when the news came that actually you know you're one of the ones to to go i remember phoning sharon on the day and just being you know in shock really um and she was actually the one that said look it'll be fine it'll be fine we'll pray about it it'll be fine um but yeah kind of shocked really i think was the time take on that i mean yeah i think we'd um i just uh, rightly or wrongly trusted lenny <laughs> and he kept saying we'll be fine we'll be fine i think i'll be fine they're telling me we'll be fine we went on holiday we were talking about it coming here we went on holiday and we were like you know why why would we have to move why you know why would you have to move um in your job everything's going well um and when he rang me uh i was just i i think he was in such a state of shock that i realized i sort of had to step up and say it'll be good it'll be fine um and and that's how we dealt with it at the time so, so you weren't to know at that point how long this would last no. and how long did it last? On and off, there was a temporary contract in, in between, but on and off about two years um, of just uncertainty, not knowing. Um, I mean, we felt <clears throat> very much that um, where we were on the west coast of Scotland uh, was where we were supposed to be. Um, we very much felt that's where the Lord wanted us to be um, for a number of reasons. Um, but as I said, the, the, the kind of ever decreasing circles of the particular job that I had done for the best part of 20 years, and to some extent was fairly pigeonholed in, um, it's difficult to make that leap. And I tried applying for a few things that were slightly different in the finance industry. But they knew at the time, and were probably right, that if a job had come up in the line that I was sort of used to, I would have jumped for it. And they were probably right. I probably would have. So consequently, they were sort of saying, well, look, you know, thanks very much, but no thanks. Um, so, so yeah, um, we, uh, we kind of came to the conclusion that um, at, at some point, we were going to have to, you know, someone was going to have to give, really. Uh, it took a while to reach that point, by the way. Um, I had set up a home office um, in the front room, um, which was going in between, because we were running, with the help of the people in Kamarnik, we were running Bonnie Tots, which we'd set up. Um, and it, it was sort of at one corner of the dining room, which was now wasn't a dining room. It was Bonnie Tots warehouse, and then on the desk was Lenny's office where I was applying for jobs from because I was like, you've got to get out from under my feet, basically. <laughs> basically, we were like, oh, at first we were like, oh, this is lovely. We can go on like family trips and da, da, da. And then it was like, oh, yeah, you're in the kitchen when I, I want to be in the kitchen. So, yeah. Oh, on the upside, though, my golf game got much better. <laughs> <laughs> so you've mentioned uncertainty. Uh, as you know, uncertainty is my happy place. <laughs> uh, not. Um, uh, how, what was it like living in uncertainty? And 
in all of that, were you able to discern the Lord's hand in it? Um, could, could you see that he was teaching you something at the time? Is that something you see in hindsight? Or were you, did you have an awareness of him in the situation? Yeah, um, certainly in hindsight, definitely. Um, I, I do believe that the Lord was teaching, certainly me, patience. Um, I, I vividly remember um, going on lots, lots of long walks and praying to the Lord um, to show us direction uh, and show us it now. <laughs> um, and it took obviously took a lot longer than 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 we had anticipated um, for things to, to kind of pan out. Um, and yeah, we were very, very aware that the Lord would have a purpose in this somewhere. Um, and Sorry, I was just gonna say, you, we were talking, coming up in the car about how we both sec were trying to second guess the Lord though at the time where Lenny was like, well, I'm sure it'll be this, and I'm sure it'll be that, and um, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, yeah, totally, completely totally. different. I was very guilty of that. I must confess of trying to to almost second guess what the Lord was doing. Um, but all through this time, we were very thankful, and still are very thankful for the support and prayers of, and as Ben has said, of the assembly that he was in, and that's certainly our experience as well. You know. And, and beyond um, the prayer support of, of many people. And that's what really helps you being in a, a kind of fellowship of churches of people that support and pray um, and are there for you. Yeah. So, so you know, was, was peace an elusive thing? Uh, what brought you into an experience of the peace of God during that time? Um, what helped you? Were there people? Were there disciplines? Were there activities? Well, um, first of all, you're talking about second guessing. Lenny had his second guess and I had my second guess. Um, all of you probably know Finley was IVF. So I was like, okay, we've got one more to go. Let's just, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to have a second child. There's our embryo waiting. Let's just go for it. So that was my second guess. So I almost had peace in that, the peace that I'd created for myself, by the way, that it was like, yeah, we're going to do this. And that's the path God has put us on. So Lenny was second guessing, sorry, from the point of employment. And I was second guessing like, oh, here comes the, the family, This, you know, the the other child we've always wanted so so we were both almost going through different things at the time but um we we um had a moment where we were just like um Lenny stepped up and he did we were well I could see that he was starting to slip a bit and and I was like why don't you come and help with Bonnie Tots and and so he become, became my um, trolley dolly. <laughs> and he loved it. And, and I think that really saved him. And actually, the kids loved him more than me. The parents probably loved him more than me. And he brought dads along. And, and there's Len and others here from Kamarnik who still run Bonnie Tots and Jill and all the rest who all run it still because it gave... And it gave me a purpose and it gave Lenny a purpose. So that was something that 
Yeah. Yes. Yes. Totally. Definitely. And also, um, I think it was Ali that started the early prayer times on a Thursday, um, half past six on a Thursday morning when the rest of you are all still fast asleep, we, we would be at the, the hall uh, praying and Len joined us and then Ian Lithgow joined us and then Jim Cranston joined us. And before you knew it, you had a kind of prayer circle going on here at half past six on a, on a Thursday morning. So when, when I was out of work for that period of time <clears throat> and you have all this time on your hands, things like that, you really look forward to and you really, it really helps you. It brings an element of peace being active in Bonnie Tots, you know, if you find yourself with that kind of time on your hands, all I would say to you would be to throw yourself into whatever you can in your church, and it brings a little element of peace. And I know we don't have much time, but very quickly, I just want to mention also, um, there was a, a, a kind of taped ministry, if you like, message that Andy McElroy gave at Belfast Conference a number of years ago that I got a hold of, that I know we've spoken about Job on many occasions today already, but Job 23 and verse 10, he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I will come forth as gold, is the, is the, the, the verse. And I must have listened to that passage, I, I, that message, I don't know how many times, in the car, over and over and over, because it speaks about the testing that Job went through. And there's people that will sit here today that will go through much yeah. harder things than we went through. But for, for me and for us, that particular verse and that particular passage and the testing, and we know what gold is like, it needs purifying, it needs, it needs to go through the heat to be purified, and that's kind of how we felt at the time. That message was a massive, massive help, and that verse was a huge help. And, and also the power, the power of praying friends. You know, we met with Gillian and Ali and others. We knew family, obviously, were praying and others further away. And just the prayer of, uh, once you get on that prayer list, you know, you know that in the fellowship you're being prayed all over the world, really. That was, our, that was always our ambition. On a Tuesday night, we would go in on a, on a Tuesday night and say, one of these days, my name's going to be off that prayer list. <laughs> Okay, let's get towards wrapping this up. What, when did the corner turn, as it were, uh, and, and there was resolution to this? Because we do not, I, and I'm sure we all, don't underestimate how difficult a two-year period of this would have been. I mean, that is hard. Um, yeah, I think the, the corner really turned, um, I think, when it was Sharon that, that said, look, we had been praying. Our prayers had been largely focused on, um, Lord, open up the right opening here where we are to enable us to, to stay where we are and do what we are. And because that was what we wanted. Um, and eventually we had to come to the point, and it was Sean that said, so look, maybe we're, pr we're praying the wrong prayer here. Maybe it should be, look, Lord, whatever, whatever you want, that's what it is. But so, make it, but make it Belfast, or uh, <laughs> I was, I was still like, there's my chance to get home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that was the, that was the turning point, really, because not long after that, um, really, really quickly after that, I got a call from a stockbroker friend in London who said, "Look, there's a job going in Bristol um, with uh, a company called Hargreaves Lansdowne, who are looking for a, a senior trader." 
um, are you interested? Now, I'd never been to Bristol in my life before, but I thought, right, okay, well, if we're really going to do what we said we were going to do and say, okay, Lord, whatever you want us to do, then we need to we need to at least, you know, put that into practice. So, so we applied for it, and that was, yeah. That was it. That was it. That's good. Yes, although we miss our friends in Scotland, let's just say that. Where's Elsie? She would never forgive us if, <laughs> if we didn't say we miss our friends in Scotland. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we do miss them, we do miss them. But, uh, yeah, the Lord definitely opened up that way for us. And for us, that gives us the peace of knowing that um, he knows the way that I take. Last thing, if someone in the room experienced this tomorrow, in the next week, what do you want to say to them? Um, I think all, all we could really say from our experience is just what, what we shared there, that to come to the point of surrendering your will to God's will and say, wherever you will take me, wherever um, you want me to be, um, then show me that way. And for us, it became it became apparent. Um, and I have no doubt that if someone genuinely prays that prayer and, and has that in their heart to follow after the Lord's leading, then it may take a while, um, but not to lose sight of the fact that, that he does know the way that you take. And if, if you are being tested, then he will bring you forth as gold in the end. Gold in as much as you will be of value to him and he will test you uh, and remove perhaps things that needed to be removed in our lives. Um, and he will do that for you too. Me? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I would just say, I mean, there were times when I was up and there were times when um, Lenny was up. It was just a constant relying on each other and relying on the Lord and just... My verse was, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And once you have a verse that you can cling to, I mean, if we opened our cupboard door, it was just covered in verses because you were like, that calendar verse is great, I'll have that one. You know, because they just, it just is, you just got to cling. You've just got to cling and you've just got to pray. There's a, there's a film that we watched um, years ago called The War Room. It's a Christian film, The War Room, and it's all about a, an old lady who has all these prayers all around her wall. She's got a little closet thing that she, she's praying for different families and different people and whatever. And this was her war room. And that, that literally, that cupboard was like her war room because whenever you really were struggling with something, you went there and there was a verse there on that, you know, a calendar text that just met exactly whatever need you had in that particular day. And, and yeah, that, that was... Um, that was very special for us. I'm sure there are a few war rooms around the fellowship. Um, thank you, guys.
So I don't think it'll be a, a surprise for people to know what you have been through uh, in the past um, couple of years. Um, do you want to sort of sketch that at a high level and then we'll um, start to go into some questions on it? Um, so, on the 8th of April 2022, I was diagnosed with bowel cancer. Um, I had been anemic for about a year and a half and um, I had a few things checked out, like my ovaries and things. Um, but the GP left the surgery um, and with COVID catch up and things, I just think I slipped through the net a little bit, but also it, I had a bit of a responsibility there and I didn't chase things up. Um, so then it came round to the January um, of 2022 and I thought, oh, I still feel quite tired and cold. I wonder if I'm still anemic. So I uh, went back to the doctors. Uh, I was anemic. They gave me iron tablets and sent me home. Um, and thankfully, I have a bit of an internet doctor of a husband uh, who doesn't rest over these things. And he um, had done some research and he felt like he wanted to get me to do one of these fit tests where you uh, check your stools or your poo, if you say the right word, um, to see if there's any traces of blood in it. So um, the little advert here, if you ever feel you have any symptoms, um, it's really easy. You just go onto Amazon. You can get a box the next day and you can do a little home test in your bathroom. Uh, Simon did it for me. I didn't have to have anything to do with it. I'll lend him out if you want. <laughs> um, so, but it's that that easy. We, we do sometimes like don't do MOTs on our bodies and things, but that's really easy and you can do that. And that um, came back positive. Um, so I went back to the doctor. The doctor didn't trust our fit test, so made me do another one. And then he put me in for the colonoscopy. Um, so uh, came around to colonoscopy day where uh, you have a camera into your bowel and they check to see if there's anything in there. Um, so went along um, we had prayed that morning. Um, about it. Um, Simon's more of a realist. I'm more in denial. I was probably more anxious about the procedure than anything else. Um, so when uh, I was having the procedure done, I had um, gas and air, so I was quite awake. And I could see on the screen, and I could see that they'd found something. I could see um, a tumour. I didn't know it was a tumour, but I thought, well, that's not good. Um, and I just remember at, at that my moment feeling a level of anxiety that I don't think I've ever felt before. It affected my breathing, and I really struggled um, to keep it together. Um, even though Abba was playing on the radio, I was still stressed out. Um, but God graciously provided. I'm not very good at um, remembering verses, but he gave me a, a tiny snippet of uh, my times are in your hands. And I remember going between looking at the screen and looking at the ceiling tiles and just repeating over my times are in your hands, my times are in your hands. And that was what calmed me in that moment. And then we had about a bit of a wait, about 40 minutes where I was separated from Simon. So I was messaging quite a bit. And then the nurse took us into a little room and um, there was two of them, which I thought, oh. Uh, and so that she said, um, that we found a tumor. And from my experience, it's malignant, um, it's cancer. Um, it will have been growing for about two to three years. And I think she said it was about five centimeters or something like that. And at that point in time, 
it did feel overwhelming, but at the same time, all I could think of was saying, God is in control. So I looked at Simon and said, God is in control. And Simon said, yes, he is. We looked at the nurses and they said, yes, oh, and we're all flustered. And like, I've never seen two nurses get out of the room first. <laughs> um, so then this is another way God provided as well. Amazingly, all my sisters were there on a Friday evening in Nottingham. So I went to my mum's house and shared the news with them. And, and again, graciously, God had provided Ken and Liz were down. It wasn't anything special, um, but they were there. So they helped with us and the children. Um, I just, you know, all right, if I keep waffling, do you want to ask me questions? You know what you want to say. I mean, I, I suppose, You've described there an initial anxiety. How did those weeks unfold? Yeah. The first few days were particularly tough. Um, that night, um, I think we had a bit of a r repetitive cycle. We felt very emotional. Um, when they said the cancer had probably been in there for a few years, um, I didn't know whether. I was going to be riddled with cancer or whether it was going to be contained or anything really. So they'd sent us home saying we'd go for a CT scan the following week. Um, so I felt, I kind of felt dirty as well, knowing that there was a cancer inside me. It was a weird thing. So we were very emotional about it and we spent that whole night really going through a cycle of getting upset, um, praying, falling asleep for a probably about five minutes and then waking up again and going over and over. Um, but we looked up that um, verse in the middle of the night because I was thinking, oh, my times are in your hands. Let's read the rest of it. Um, so the verse that was, um, let me, sorry, I have to keep looking down. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. So we just kept Going back to that verse as a point of reference, my lovely job share when I shared the verse with her. Um, acknowledge my faith but she doesn't have faith herself I keep praying for her. you can pray for her um, had this card made for me so um but anyway that was that we woke up um well uh, we didn't really wake up about half past five in the morning said right let's get up go for a walk and drag Simon out and we went up to the back hills behind Watnall and we sat on some um, old steps up there at the back hills and this is where we really uh probably built up all night to doing this, prayed to God and <laughs> said, um, we were pleaded really that the cancer would be treatable and that it wouldn't have spread. And also then prayed the prayer that if, if it had, that we knew he was in control and to help him help us to accept that. Um, we also prayed for protection from Satan getting in. Um, and affecting our relationship with him. We felt vulnerable in that way. We didn't want that to happen. And we also prayed for our children in their young face. We really didn't want that to be something that was impacted by that. Um, and we knew that we needed other people's prayers to sustain us. So we made the decision that we'd share it quite quickly. Um, so we told our close friends and the children and... Um, God helped us amazingly with all of that. And we wrote the prayer mail on that Saturday night so it could go be read on the Sunday morning. Um, but the next, that night, I was really fearful we were going to have another night. 
like that, uh, the one before, and we went to sleep about half past 10 and woke up about five past 11 and I felt a level of despair I don't think I've ever felt because I couldn't face the thought of another night like the night before. So we pleaded with God that he would help us to sleep. And it was just amazing because um, he just gave us that peace that surpasses all understanding. Um, I felt as if the Lord was sitting on the end of the bed and by the time we said amen, I can't even remember falling asleep. I think we were asleep for the night, woke up the next morning and we had the remembrance to go to. And I can't tell you what a blessing the remembrance has been for the, um, the whole of the year and a half that it's been really. Um, the reality of um, taking that fear of death away. Um, we know we've been singing about our living hope. Um, hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You know, we don't need to be afraid of death. And I don't think I'm afraid of death. I'm afraid of leaving those people that I love. That was my battle. But imagine having that taken away. We don't have to be afraid of, of dying. Um, so, sorry, waffle, waffle. Do you want to um, bring us to treatment and, and surgery? And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I make them play the song first as well? Yeah. Is that all right? So that not knowing bit was the toughest bit. I'll tell you about the surgery bit and the other bit. There's not much to say about that, really. But there's just a little song that um, expresses. We just played it over and over in the lead up to the scan because that was the anxiety that we were feeling. Anyway, the words say it better than I can.
So, are we getting something of the secret of peace there in knowing that you are God and I am not? Yeah, totally. We wouldn't want to be in control of it all, would we? And thankfully that, you know, he is. And just the courage we can take from knowing the story of the cross. I think it talks about the victory of the cross there. Being at the remembrance every week and reflecting on that, God graciously gave us something when we should be giving him something. And it was that courage to know that, you know, what he'd done for us gives us courage. We, he has overcome and, you know, we can face everything because of that. Overwhelmingly conquer. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to touch on, on treatment? And I'll tell you a bit about the, su the surgery bit. Um, in the lead up to that, there was a lot of waiting. Um, uh, waiting for iron infusion, waiting for a date for surgery. Um, and again, you know, people helped us. God provided people, different people deal with different things than I need people. Um, and he provided us with verses that people were sending us and communications. And thank you everyone for that and sustaining us definitely in our, in your, with your prayers. Um, but I had this really hard battle with this surgery that all the doctors were saying you're young you're fit um but I felt like I needed to make myself available to go in in the surgery um if God was going to take me being being open to that I felt I had to get into this kind of state where he, I was giving over to him um and I remember talking to your lovely mother-in-law about this and talking about her cancer journey as well that you um, have to get to the point of the leper that came to the Lord that said, if you are willing, you can make me clean and have this openness. And didn't always feel that way, but I had to keep feeling like I went back to submit to that. And God graciously brought me through the surgery. And when I woke up from the surgery, I felt like I'd been born again, again. Um, and I was, it was just an amazing feeling that he'd given me, got brought me through the surgery. And then we had the... Thankfully, um, God, there wasn't any um, uh, cancer in the lymph nodes, um, some in a blood vessel. So I know that God well, was teaching me, okay, Beth, I don't want you to forget this and uh, still you need to rely on me. Um, if there hadn't been any in the blood vessel, maybe it would have been different and he still had more lessons for me. Then. So we went down the, the route of being advised to have some chemotherapy and then that was a bit of a roller coaster, making decisions and when to stop and everything. But thankfully God provided there and gave us directions and people to advise us. So um, yeah, really thankful to God for being so faithful. <laughs> Probably need to... Things. And I tell me where you're at now and how you feel about the future and what you're going through. Okay. Um medically good um just quarterly blood tests, annual scans and colonoscopies. Um uh, in my mind um, I've struggled a bit to learn how to live after having cancer. Um, there's a little bit of me that would just love the Lord to return um, so that we don't have to wait to see if the cancer returns. Um, and we can all go together. Um, and really having to practice not worrying about tomorrow and taking captive every thought um, to make it obedient to him. 
um, not let myself go down that route. And uh, I don't want cancer to define me, but I also want to be so purposeful um, in my life. There are people out there who are effectively dying of sin, and we have such a responsibility to share uh, that peace that we know and have uh, with them. Um, I feel very burdened by that. What kind of clues and so do you want people to know if they, a serious illness comes into their life? What is your experience? Just that he will never not be with you. Whenever you go through anything in life, um, you're living it every second of every minute of every day. Um, and our friends and our family, they can't be with you in every second and every moment of every day, but the Lord is. He's in the dark, there in the darkest moments when there's nobody else there. But also he's here um, in a room with whatever we're consumed by today, whether it be um, anxiety, fear, loneliness, um, whatever, he, he knows our mind and he's there with us in it all. Um, and just his goodness, you can see his goodness everywhere when you reflect on how he provides for us and how he brings people into our lives. I mean, there was doctors in our lives that he brought in to speed things up and um, that he made us have contacts with 10 years before, you know, it's just amazing how he totally overrules. Um, yeah, I'm sure I had other wisdom, not wisdom of mine, but that I could have said, but sorry, waffle, waffle, waffle. No, <laughs> You've done so well. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay, we're going to have Rose and Giles up we get into your experience of peace in grief. Um, can you tell us a bit about Duncan? Uh, lots of people in the room will have very happy memories of him, uh, but many will have to wait to meet him. Uh, can you share some thoughts about him? Yeah, I think it's true to say this on. No? We got the mic on? Yeah. It's okay, okay. Um, I think Duncan was probably um, many things to many people. Um, Duncan was a big personality. He loved people. He loved the Lord. He loved life. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> Is that okay? Yeah, Can you yeah, hear yeah. me now? Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, Dunk was um, many things to many people. He was very, um, to me, he was um, a wonderful husband. He was kind, um, very gregarious, loved socializing. Um, Dunk loved the great outdoors. He loved camping, the wilder the better, no facilities allowed. Um, he was, he loved debating. He had an opinion on anything, on everything. 
and sometimes he'd like to debate until four in the morning if you let him. Um, he was, yeah, he loved art, he loved music. I thought he had a lovely singing voice. Um, and he would have loved an occasion like this. Dunk was, Dunk knew how to be a gentleman. He could be very charming. He was very romantic and um, he was lovely. He was a lovely husband, very good father. Um, yeah, and I loved him very much. Yeah, he would have been right in the middle of He would, yeah. Um, yeah. Tell us about that thing he says when he's late. Oh, yeah, um, one of his one of his faults. Um, he, didn't, he didn't have many, but we all have some. Um, he he was always late. Dunk was always late, um, uh, but he'd always say, "Well, I might be late, but I'm worth the wait." Um, that could wear a little bit thin eventually, but yeah, he was usually. <laughs> so, um, how long is it since Duncan passed away now? Um, the Lord called Duncan home on the 26th of September, 2009. So that'll be 14 years on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. And what was that day like for you, Roy? That day was horrible. Um, that day was the day that my li our lives changed forever. Um, it was a normal day, very pleasant day in Norfolk. Um, Charles was at his friend's house. Um, Charles and I were just coming back home from shopping and the phone went. It was my brother from ringing from South Wales. Um, he'd been told that he told me that Duncan had been in a very serious accident and it, it wasn't looking good. Um, Duncan was in Warwickshire at the time at his nephew's stag do. Um, and so it, the whole event was surreal. It's very strange. You're living a very normal day in your life and suddenly you get this out of the blue. And I remember taking that call and I was in complete shock, but I went into auto and um, it, it was bizarre. I started putting the food in the fridge and I'm thinking, well, no, you've got to stop doing this. You've got to do you know, get to Warwickshire. So I went and picked up Giles from his friend's house and I had to do a three hour drive to Warwickshire. And it's strange, it's like normal life continues. I remember I had to get petrol on the way and and, and that, you know. Anyway, we, we got to um, to Warwick Hospital and I parked up and we went in into the waiting room. A lot of family members were already there and, um, and the nurse came in and told me that they'd done everything to try and save Dunk, but um, the Lord had called Duncan home and they asked me if I wanted to see him and I went into the ward with my sister Claire, Claire Clean with me. And um, Dunk was obviously passed away and it was just evident to me that he wasn't there. The Duncan that I knew and loved and we all loved was gone and um, I held his hand and said goodbye to the earthly Duncan that I knew. And yeah. And what about the, the days afterwards and the weeks? Those days and weeks afterwards were um, were very heavy. They were I, they were very hard to bear. Um, I, I was in shock. I, I was in overwhelmed with grief and sorrow and disbelief that the man of forty two and outwardly very healthy had just been taken away, and and I was suddenly a widow and. 
a single parent of two teenage children. And so that was very hard, yeah. yeah. Charles, what age were you and how do you remember? I was, I was 16 at the time and uh, yeah, as mum said, it was just, it was very, very strange. Like I remember Charlotte ringing, explaining, like mum said, dad's been in a, a serious accident is the word she used. Um, so it was the quietest three hour car ride ever. Um, obviously mum was just doing everything just to get there and, and me and Charlotte were just sat in silence, not knowing what to what to think. And then, um, yeah, I remember we, we arrived there at the hospital and as mum said, the, the nurse gave the news and it was just, it was a, a feeling of shock that I've never had before or since. And it was, it was almost kind of absent of emotion. Like it, it's such a big thing that you can't really, you can't process it in any sense. You can't feel sad. You can't feel that sense of, oh no, this is terrible. It was just, you need, I, I think I needed days or weeks even to, to actually process it. it. It really happened. So yeah, it was, it was the strangest experience ever, but yeah, it was very, very shocking. Shock is the word I'd use really. So, <laughs> searching for God's peace in that time, how did that come into your life? What was your experience of that? <sighs> that was a miraculous experience for me. Um, I didn't do anything of myself to access God's peace. Duncan's death, it wasn't an accident. The Lord decided to take Duncan home. And I believe the Lord's, through the Lord's kindness and grace and compassion to me, I think the Lord increased my faith enormously in him. And he just gently was with me through it all. The Lord was a constant companion in my day. Um, and it, it, was, it was incredible. It was a, the word I've used, people have mentioned before, it was a tangible closeness of the Holy Spirit in my life. And um, it, yeah, it was, it was just remarkable. I remember I haven't shared this with very many people at all. It's just the family. I remember one day I was sitting on the settee in our little cottage in North Reps. And I was um, overwhelmed with sadness. And I was, I just said to the Lord, please, please help me. And um, you know, sometimes when you're upset, it takes a while to compose yourself. Well, there was none of that. I asked the Lord to help me. And I went from anxiety to instant peace. Now that, that to me is, is a miracle. It's just the Holy Spirit. I'm not a sensational kind of person, sensationalist, but the Lord, I knew the evidence of the Holy Spirit remarkably in, in those weeks and months. And, and yeah, it was incredible. And you said that you did nothing to access Not that. really. Were there any verses or anything? Yeah, I, I, I did. I read my Bible a lot and I prayed a lot. I listened to classical music, which I quite like. Um, I remember there were a few verses that, that have stayed with me. I remember reading, um, precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. And that really touched my heart at the time because Dunk's death was precious to the Lord. And I knew that the, the God who held Duncan also held me and that gave me a link to Dunk. And another verse that a very well known verse that's always stayed with me is um, in Isaiah. Um, but those that wait upon the Lord, 
shall renew their strength. They shall rise up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. And to this day, I can testify to the Lord giving me that, really. Um, it is truly remarkable. Yeah. It's wonderful. Jan's uh, any perspectives about peace from, from your angle? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I remember quite early on really feeling a, a, <clears throat> a sense of peace in, in the sense of um, once I processed what happened, I think I was faced with a choice almost of, well, this has happened now, and am I going to to despair over it, or am I going to trust that it was God's will? Um, and something that Steve Seddon said, actually, at the, at the funeral, Steve Seddon spoke, he said that, um, as Mum's already said, Dad's life wasn't cut short. He lived every day that God intended him to live and that was something that really it was the first time really that I realized well actually this is God's will whatever I think of it this is this is God's will um so yeah I think that was that was the main thing and another another aspect of it is that I think it was the first time as as a 16 year old I, I really thought well God has his own plan for for things and perhaps up until that point and perhaps a lot of people who are, are young to to faith and things w would think if God is a good God, he should do this, he should do that, he should answer my prayers, he should give me good good things in life. But actually, it's, it was the first point where I, th I think I thought of it the other way around, where, where God has his plan for all of us, and how am I going to respond to that? Am I going to submit to that, as, as others have already said, or am I going to um, try and force my way of things? And it, it, that kind of acceptance, I think, was a, a pathway to peace for me. So are we coming back to you are God and I am not? Um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. The submission to that? Yeah. Um, okay, again, to, to, to both of you then, how has losing Duncan, losing your dad, um, left you as a person? How has it impacted on your life in a, in a long-term way? I think for me it's uh, as I've already touched on it it's helped me to trust that that God has his way of, of, of doing things and uh, another thing that at the time I, um, Grandad, I remember quoting a, a verse at the funeral um, a verse from a very well known verse from Job um, where Job says the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away blessed be the name of the Lord and that kind of struck something with me as well that the granddad who had lost his son was able to say that and and to to submit in that way to God's will it made me realize that it it comes down to whether or not we trust that God is good even if the things that are happening in our life are not good do we trust ultimately that God is good and if we do then it's such a powerful resource for us because it means that we don't have to understand why bad things happen necessarily but we just trust that God has allowed this thing to happen and I think that has helped me in other aspects of life as well as I've got older and you you stop it's almost freeing in a way to to realize well I don't have to understand I don't need to make sense of this myself because I just trust that the God is who he who he says he is in his word and yeah um I, I yeah it's given me a deeper understanding of of who God is and um and acknowledging really of his absolute sovereignty um, and once you understand who God is, it's, it's just taught me to to submit to His divine will. 
his, you know, um, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And once I think you understand that, it's quite, you can find peace. And the more faith you have, the more peace you have. And my thinking is that complete faith equals complete peace. Um, it's just it's just understanding, comprehending the character and who God is in his awesome yeah. might and, and divine authority. We have to submit to that. And, and God is just over all of it. Of course, it was desperately sad that Duncan was taken, but it was in the Lord's divine will. And I accept that. And... The Lord has just continued to be kind to me and provide for me. And, you know, yeah, he has an eternal plan and and that's given me complete peace. I'm slightly in awe of you both. Mm. Um, it, it seems that sometimes we need to go through deep experiences to know God more deeply. Um, do you have any kind of closing thought that people should take away about not everyone's going to go through an experience as deep as yours right? but any closing reflection that people can take away to, to hold on to I think like, like I've just touched on I, I would um, ask people to try and understand who God is um, and then the vastness of his character and his complete authority and sovereignty in life um, and the verse that I, I that I like is, "Be still and know that I am God." And in that stillness and in that knowing, by faith, to have complete peace. Um, in that God has has your life in His hands and your goodness. You know, it might not always be what you want, but the Lord is in control, and I think that is incredible peace. I'm not sure we can thank you enough for the way you've opened up 